Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to AMBETS Radio. At AMBETS Radio, we're dedicated to providing the who, what, where, when, and why of everything AMBETS nationwide. For over 50 shows now, AMBETS Radio not only educates, but tries to inspire all veterans serving veterans with interviews that are not only thought-provoking, but through humor, decades of wisdom, lots of great stories, and of course, information about AMBETS. It's our goal at AMBETS Radio that after hearing this show, you'll walk away different than you arrived. We thank you for taking the time to listen to AMBETS Radio. And for more information, including upcoming shows or previous ones, visit AMBETSRadio.com. Now sit back and relax, buckle up and get ready, because the AMBETS Radio train is about to leave the station. And now a moment of silence. I knew 78 shows ago that any time we were going to lose somebody within the AMBETS family, we would do this. Not only do we do this for AMBETS radio, but even in professional wrestling, when we lose a member of our family, we do a 10-bell salute. It's done throughout the country to show honor, and without a doubt... The person that we lost this week deserves that honor. I want to thank you for joining us in AMVETS Radio, show number 78. Our topic tonight will be transitioning veterans. But right now, we're going to take a few moments to have on uh, a special guest uh, who, who not only knew Fergie Brand, that is who we've dedicated tonight's show to, um, but uh, we're also going to bring on 
uh, one of our correspondences to uh, share with you her bio. Vanessa, how are you doing tonight, dear? Well, I'm hanging in there, Perry. Thanks. How are you? Good. I want to thank you for taking the time to read her bio. Uh, we have not done this previously, uh, and, and I think it was a wonderful touch that you added, so thank you for that. And if you want to go Not ahead and read that, and then after you read it, we'll go ahead and bring on uh, Terry Corson, who is the department commander for the state of Florida, who knew Ferdy. Sure thing, Barry. Ferdy Brand was born in Eastleigh, South Carolina, was the seventh of 10 children, the mother of two sons, five grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. She moved to Florida in 1972 to begin her career in financial management at the University of South Florida, retiring after 33 years of service as the Assistant Director of Research Compliance. Ferdy joined the United States Army Reserves in 1974, retired after 22 years of service as a Master Sergeant. She joined Ann Vets in 1990. Through her dedication and hard work, she worked her way up through the chairs and was elected and served as department commander from 2002 to 2004. Ferdy was the first black female to ever hold this office in the state of Florida. She was also elected to national finance as a national finance officer and served from 2008 to 2010. Awesome. Let me get Terry on. Terry, how you doing, sir? Hey, I'm 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 doing as well as can be expected, Perry. And uh, thank you for having me on your show tonight. Um, well, the bio you, you knew her. The... <laughs> so, you knew her, so it, it, it any time we do these dedications, we always like to have somebody on who knew her, just because they can share more of her spirit than we can. I've I think I met her once, so I didn't feel like that was proper. <laughs> Well, I, you know what, Perry? If you met her once and saw her smile, you you would never forget Ferdy Brand. <laughs> um, her bio doesn't. Her bio does not do her justice. And in what this young lady has done for Amvets in, in in 28 years is just absolutely spectacular. I mean, if you look at the some of the awards that 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 she's gotten. I mean, she was a, a commander of the years, a post commander. Um, she was a department commander of the year. She 1998 white clover award. I mean, it seemed like everything that she did, she was the best of the best. Um, but it, it, you know, the one thing I'd like to say about 30 is she, she fought a long battle with cancer and I'm, I'm, I'm here tonight to tell you she didn't lose that battle. It's just that it outlasted her, and, and that's that's the that's the fighting strength this young lady had. Um, she was a pleasure to work with. She was a pleasure to work for. Um, she was just. If you look at Amvets, you know, if we had Amvets in the dictionary, it would have her picture, and and that's what the definition of Amvets would be. She was she was that good. Um, Trying to replace a Ferdy brand is nigh on to impossible. The things that the knowledge that she had, the experience that she had, um, the dedication that she had to AMVETS, 
her personal ability to handle um, conflicts to she just seemed to bring out the best in everybody and 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 I keep saying that if you saw Ferdy smiles, you knew Ferdy for life, and no matter how bad things got, she could always come out with that smile and and that's the thing that that i I respected her the most for no matter how bad things would get, we would work our ways out of it and and there there'd be that smile like you know hey we're here we got it we're done we're this is what ambits do and she was all about veterans as a matter of fact she has four grandsons three of the four are in the military and she uh-huh. was working on the fourth and she was working on the fourth i mean she not only you know she not only wanted everybody she talked to 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 be involved with the military to be a vet to join to join a military service, whatever. And what she did for her grandkids is, is, you know, pick what you want to do. Tell me what you want to do. And I will help you, you know, go to the, the branch of service that I think will do you the most good for what you want out of life. And she was, uh, she was good. And her last, her, the son that her grandson that was staying with her, she was working on getting him, uh, she was trying to get him in the Air Force, and then he decided he wanted to be in the Army. So they were kind of battling back and forth about which, which branch of service he was going to be in. And, and I'm, sure, I'm sure that he'll be in one of them, um, even, even now that, that Ferdy's gone, uh, because I'm sure that she left the impression on him that she leaves on everybody. Um, you just can't say enough about a person like Ferdy Brand. Um, we're, we're, we're going to miss that lady. I mean, it, there's no doubt about it. She left her name on the Abbott's organization. And, and I, I, there's nothing, I don't think you could speak any higher of, of Ferdy Brands. Her, well, for anybody that's on, on the, the, the one thing I'd like to say is um, her funeral is going to be at the um, Harmon Funeral Home in Tampa, um, at, I believe it's 5300 North 40th on the 12th of October, which is Friday at 11 a.m. And I, I know that people are listening from all over the, the states and everything. And as, as a small a token as anything, you know, send, send some flowers for that funeral home for 30. Um, we, we figured we're going to have over 200 people there. Um, she's a, she's a beautiful woman and she, thank God now she is not suffering anymore. Um, and I'm sure that she's up there watching and probably critiquing what I'm telling you right now, because that's kind of <laughs> what she used to do to me anyway. Tell me what I should have said, what I said right, and what I shouldn't have said. <laughs> and she was very, very reserved. She she talked about her grandkids. She talked about her her her, her two sons and everything. But she you know she kind of held her personal life to herself. Um, but she was an ambit through and through. Well, we definitely know that. Uh... Uh, you would know her more than any of us would, and I thank you that you've 
taking the time to share that. Uh, if you can, um, I'm pretty sure somebody from Ambit is going to post something on Facebook with the service information. Um, I saw I, I saw the post yesterday about her, but I have not seen anything about service information. So the mo- just know that the moment somebody posts something and it gets to my attention, I'll go ahead and share it on the Ambit's radio page so they can send flowers or do what they feel led to do. Absolutely. I'll make sure that happens tomorrow. Wonderful. Tara, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to share uh, who she was, and uh, I'm, I'm very sure that uh, this will not be the last time we hear from you anyway, since you are a friend of AMVETS Radio. And uh, on a separate note, uh, and, and again, we've got you know more than enough time, is there any announcements or anything relating to Florida? Uh, you won't be intruding on the dedication time because you've clearly – Uh, took care of that. But feel free to, while you're on now, share anything that needs to be shared about Department of Florida. Um, I I would. And our uh, Larry Arnett is our uh, Department of Florida Service Foundation president. And and we got together as, as, you know, we talked about last year, Hurricane Irma. And and now we're looking at North Carolina and uh, we got to talking about it said you know what we we need to make this a real ambits um thing we've we've done well in 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 florida setting up our disaster relief fund um so that hopefully we'll not have another irma we need as ambits we need to be in a position um that i know that there's going to be folks ambits and and veterans in 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 the carolinas you know with all the floods and everything that's happened there that are going to need some assistance and uh, so we talked about it, and he actually wrote a letter to Joe Chanelli, and uh, his letter was more requesting, you know, give us a point of contact in, in, in North Carolina that we can talk to and say, you know, what do you need? What can we do in the Department of Florida to help you out? Um, and a very nice reply from, from Joe Chanelli that, you know, what he liked what, what he was doing and what we were doing and said, you know, we should think about doing that at the national level. So hopefully we can get something started because, you know, when, when you look at how big and, and drawn out ambits are, you know, you've got the, the tornado states, you've got the hurricane states, and, you know, there's, it seems like at any one time um, we've, got, we've got the potential of, 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 of an ambit or an ambit post or somebody being in, in, in trouble and needing some um, quick action to get them helped. As, as a matter of fact, I've got a small post in Okeechobee, uh, post 200, and there are about 22 people. And I was at one of their meetings, and it was right after North Carolina. And, and they have a, um, an American Legion of VFW and, and the Ambits all got together and said, you know what, we, we need to do something for these folks in North Carolina. So they were getting ready, and, and they were taking donations, and they'd already bought some generators and some water and, and all kinds of stuff. They had a truckload of stuff that they were getting ready to, you know, head on up to North Carolina. And I said, guys, you, gotta, you need to know where you're going or, or you know, uh, maybe the best thing to do to get a hold of the uh, North Carolina, you know, state emergency management system and say, hey, you know, who's hurting the most? Where can we drop these supplies? Where would you like them? But I was, I was so impressed with a, a, a little post, you know, with such few members that got together and, 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 and away they went. And I, that's, you know, that's what AMVETS is all about, veterans helping veterans. So from, from the point of our 
our Department Service Foundation um, president, uh, going to the National Executive Director and, and uh, you know, getting these things going. Um, what a great thing for AMVETS. Well, and actually, I believe, and uh, I want to, while I have you on, let me go ahead and I want to bring Dan Kub on, who is the Department Commander for Tennessee. Dan, how you doing, sir? Good. How you all doing? Good. Isn't isn't Tennessee Ambits also doing something as well for for the disaster relief? Yes, we we um we put into a program a disaster a state disaster relief um, program last year, and when the hurricane hit, I implemented the uh, program, and we're going to be collecting the monies on the uh, supplies. Our post is going to buy three hundred dollars worth of supplies tomorrow. And the other posts are sending checks, or they're, they're going to the drop-off points at Nashville and Oak Ridge. But I do want to say, I knew Pretty also, and I'm very sorry to hear that that she passed away. I'm Terry. You know as well as I do. When we were at the District Three meeting, she wasn't shy. <laughs> <laughs> no, she wasn't, Dan. <laughs> I'm very sorry to hear that, but as far as the um, National Disaster Relief Program, I think that'd be a great idea. We implemented ours in the state of Tennessee because we helped Irma and Harvey, and the other post was here like, well, you never told us or we would have done something. So I said, okay, we made our own statewide program. It's called the uh, Tennessee Disaster Relief Program. And and that's... and. and Dan, that's kind of what we did uh, for Hurricane Irma. The our uh, Department Service Foundation uh, president got together with me, and and we started talking about you know we can't just sit back here. We we need to ha- we need to be ready to go. But that takes, like you said, it takes some funding, and uh, mm-hmm. we we got some, some posts to start kicking in, and we had some pretty good contributions coming in from our posts financially. And we got this thing going, and, and now what we're doing is saying, okay, now we've got some challenges out to see what we can do to build this up because we we think that the uh, a disaster relief program, if we don't have $100,000 in the bank um, ready to, to go out to these folks, um, you know, they like I said, they can you can chew up a whole lot of money in a, in a, in a quick hurry. So that's no, our goal is to have $100,000 in the, in the bank uh, for disaster relief. That'd be great. Of course, you're a lot bigger department than we are, Terry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. We're we're the second largest department, but we're we're uh, we're going to do what we have to do and and what we can do. And and we've got a, we've got uh, right now 76 posts, and and we're gonna we're gonna see if we can't get one one project from the post a year that that they. They do something, and the proceeds come to the disaster relief fund, and we think we can we can kick that up pretty quick. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'll have to talk to. We're having our SEC meeting on Saturday. Let's talk to them about that. Yeah, I think Never that's the best way to go. Everybody everybody shares in it, and everybody gets credit for it, and everybody feels good about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm writing that down right now. I'm going to steal your idea. <laughs> Speak, speaking of, of, of feel good I also wanted to take a time 
to thank you, Terry, because Ambest Radio received a check from your state to help support the show <laughs> this year. So thank you. Absolutely, and and we think that your your show does Ambest a whole lot more good than the money we gave you. Well, it's never been about that. It just helps keep things rolling. And uh, as long as we have you guys continuing to come on the show to talk about AMVETS, it does make us look better. You know that, right? Yeah. I mean, we can't can't do it without you guys. (laughs) Perry, we're on your list for an annual annual contribution. Well, what I would also like to hear is to have maybe once a month somebody – from Florida in whatever post, whatever, to come on to talk about what's going on, um, whether okay. that's once a month, every other month, whatever. But the floor is open. I mean, we need, we need content. We need discussions. You know, you never know. Like last show, we, we didn't even label our show about transitioning veterans, and all of a sudden it turned into tonight's show. So you just never know what somebody will bring to the table, even somebody who's just – you know, who might just be a, a volunteer who really isn't a part of anything but brings up an idea. Next thing you know, uh, it turns into one or two shows. So uh, just let, let your entire department know that, that we always, every Tuesday, are looking for guests with announcements because, again, our job is to bring the most up-to-date information about AMBETS to the people who are listening. And we have listeners all over not only the United States, but they're all over the world as well. There was um, our, um, uh, matter of fact, Dan, uh, uh, Dan's uh, second uh, vice commander, uh, gave his uh, his testimony one time. He was a, we were over at Post 45 in Paris, and he gave his testimony. And there happened to be a a veteran uh, who was serving in Iraq listening, and he gave his life to Christ right there. I mean, wow, that in itself. When I heard that story, I knew why this existed for that very reason. And, again, we don't know whether it's PTSD, whether it's transitioning veterans, whether it's military sexual assault. I mean, we've had so many different topics, and and we have no – most of the time we don't know where we're going until we get there. And then once we get there, then all of a sudden all the pieces of the puzzle reconnect. So – you know, again, just thank you and, 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 and let your team know that um, all they have to do is either email me or call me. Uh, if they have not signed up to receive the email alerts, I send those out the morning of every show. Uh, they can sign up for those. There's no cost to do that. And, uh, and we'll advertise and, and get you guys on anytime. Hey, sounds good. And I'll tell you what I'll do. <clears throat> the next time you email that to me, I'll put it out on a broadcast to all of my post commanders. Matter of fact, here's what I'll do. All you can create, I'll send out tomorrow an email in regards to that topic that you can share. Okay? Excellent. I'll send out a special email because actually you're the third person to ask me about that. So I'll go ahead. uh, You know, it's just basically going to say attention AMVETS members, departments, and posts. Please come on AMVETS radio. We need you and all the the name and, and all the information on how to contact me. I think that'll make a big difference. Wonderful. That sounds like a plan to me, sir. And again, if you want to hang on and, and, and you want to join us in this conversation, you're more than welcome. Okay, thank you. Awesome. All right, guys, let me go ahead and now let's bring on our co host of the evening. Alex, you there, sir? Yes, sir, Perry, I am. How are you doing today? 
Oh, you know me, same circus, different tent. Glad to be back on the air, bro. Yeah, we got a check from Florida and from Georgia. So, I'm, I mean, I'm so, I can't tell you how wonderful that is because as much as I'm sure you enjoyed the break the week before, it, I didn't know what to do with myself. I really didn't. I was sitting there going, well, Harry, thanks I, need to be, I need to be talking to somebody. Well, thankfully enough, Dan Coob with the Department of Tennessee keeps me busy enough to where uh, I, I, I look for the welcome relief of this show, Perry. Well, let me go ahead and let's go ahead and get this discussion started. I want to first bring on our – I think he's going to be a, a very intricate part of this conversation. We had him on last week, and he is with TM Veterans. He is the founder of TM Veterans, Carol Davidson. Carol, how you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Barry. Uh, how's everybody doing? I want to thank you for taking the time to uh, to join us tonight, and uh, looking forward to. I've got, I, you know, I, I did some research, and I've got some actual questions that I think are very valuable to the conversation. So rest assured, you just sit back and uh, do what you do best. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Hold on one second. Don't go anywhere now. I also want to bring on the AMBETS National Chief Strategy Offer, Sherman Gilliams. Let me get him on. Good evening, gentlemen. Sherman, how you doing, sir? You doing all right? I'm doing I am, and uh, thank you for that uh kind tribute to uh Ms. Ferdy. Uh she'll be missed. Uh but but it's always great to uh just talk about the life's work that uh people like her put in to make uh, not just AMVETS, but this world a better place. And I think she did that with her, you know, while, while battling, obviously, uh, make, having a tough fight ahead of her. But uh, but we uh, we honor her service and we honor her memory, and uh, we're going to carry forward in her name. That's it. That's all we can do. Yep. I also want to bring on uh, from AMVETS DC, he is the second vice commander, Mr. Orlando Herrera. Orlando, how you doing, sir? All is good. All is good. How you doing? I am wonderful. And we also have Antoine. I'm going to bring him on. We're going to have a full show tonight. Antoine, you there? Yes, sir. Wonderful. So we've got Antoine. He's also he's the first vice commander for AMVIT DC. So we have got a packed show tonight. Let me just make sure Vanessa's still on, too. Vanessa, are you there, dear? Still here, Perry. Still here. Wonderful. So we've got... You've sent me a message, by the way. Let me see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, Vanessa. See, good girl, Vanessa. Folks, we have to do our national anthem. Good job, Vanessa. Man, I was ready just to go forward, and that's why the Lord sent you here. So, folks, hold on one second. We're going to go ahead and do our national anthem, and we will get started with Ambus Radio Show number 78, which is going to be called Transitioning Veterans.
Welcome back to AMVETS Radio, show number 78. First of all, I just want to say that this show has been brought to you by AMVETS Georgia, AMVETS Florida, AMVETS California, AMVETS Arkansas, AMVETS Tennessee, AMVETS Tennessee Post 45, AMVETS Post 1776, the Elks Lodge 1944, Tri-Cities Military Affairs Council, Veterans Web Design, and, of course, Painter's Dream Productions. You know, one of the things that really intrigued me about last week's show was, you know, it, I, it, it can't be easy to transition from service life to civilian life. And I think what I wanted to start off with without turning everyone's mic on because I'm a little bit concerned about background noise, so if you happen to be on – uh, I'm going to turn your mic back on, but mute your phone. And then once you're, once uh, you've either spoke, been sp- asked a question, or if you have a question, then turn it back on and talk. But this will keep the volume down uh, as far as noise is concerned. I know most shows don't like to have this many people on at the same time, but we're not most shows, so I really don't care about that. I just want to have everybody an opportunity to speak up, and I want to first bring on. Sherman, because Sherman, I know with the heel team, uh, you guys deal with a lot of situations that are probably similar to this. So the floor is yours, sir, when it comes to starting off our discussion about transitioning veterans. Sure, Perry. You know, when, when the question of transition really depends on what triggered the uh, transition process itself. For example, some service members. Uh, are let out of the military because of a disability, which can really be tough because you know, it's, it's not a time you chose to leave and your identity uh, is, is turned upside down if you're forced to leave the military, especially if you have to leave with a disabling condition. And then there are other types of transition where you have a family, you've done your, your 20 or 20 plus years. Uh, it's also tough because you've worn that uniform for a long time. Your family has grown up around the military and suddenly you're thrust back into uh, what we consider normal society, and uh, and it's hard to, to find an identity that that that's parallel to what you were in the military. If you were a, an E9 or an E8, um, you're used to having that level of stature in, in the in your world around you. And when you go into the military or out of the military, and you, you find yourself looking for a job that's commensurate with your experience, that can be tough. So uh, a lot goes into transition. We, we find that. Uh, transistor stress takes many different forms, so it really depends on the uh, in individual circumstances. It could be a divorce, for example, involved. There could be financial issues. There could be a lot of things. So it really is a matter of, of uh, to the individuals, explain their situation, and being ready to customize the advocacy for those people when they, they reach out to us, and that's what makes the HEAL team different. Uh, we don't expect there to be a cookie-cutter approach to every problem. We just meet the veteran where he or she is and, and try to figure a way forward. We had last week, uh, we introduced uh, Carol Davidson, who's been on our show multiple times, but he's got a website, which is tmveterans.com, that specializes in helping veterans transition into positions. He's got companies that are on his website that are looking for specific positions, and so he kind of transitions them. But, uh, hey, Carol, are, are you there? Yes, I'm here, Barry. One one of the one of the questions or thoughts that I had because you see resumes with veterans that are transitioning. What would you say is probably what's one of the biggest ob- obstacles that you've seen within those resumes? Well, there's several answers to that, Perry. Uh, number one is I see a lot of veterans that 
undersell themselves. Uh, Alex and I had a real good conversation about that last week when we were talking about, you know, veterans underselling themselves. And I, I said the story about the uh, the staff sergeant that uh, was a 11 Bravo and pretty much just cut and pasted, you know, the definition of 11 Bravo. And uh, he had so much more knowledge. He was the training NCO. He was in the supply. He was actually S1, S3 shop. And so that, that's, that's answer number one as far as a big obstacle. But number two, one of the things that, that I have seen as of late, and I think Sherman just hit kind of uh, a little bit on the point, was that we have some soldiers that are getting out either on medical or, you know, whatever the reason is, um, and they're not – either they're not going to the classes, to the TAP, which is the Transition Assistant Program, which – shows our veterans or you know transitioning veterans how to write a resume or they let's just say they're skipping the class something you know they're they're they're, uh, they're kind of bypassing that and I'll give you a perfect example I got a, a resume I'm actually I printed this off because I had a long talk with the person today and of course without saying names uh, you know that this person was is getting out actually and uh, you know, it's it's not by how do I say it? Uh, you know, their their choice. So uh, I don't go into detail on things like that. But it says experience, and it's just three bullet points. It said security, and it said four years security clearance in the U.S. Army. Then it goes down to communication. It says phone etiquette, face to face, thorough the Army would be the chain of command and leadership, and then so on and so on. So the resume was so so simple. Um, and what I mean by simple, it was just it was just bullet points. And by the end of our conversation, we talked for probably over an hour and a half today. And this person actually was a training NCO, worked in the uh, the S3 shop, worked in the motor pool as far as paperwork. And with the resume, there, there was so much more that this person had to offer. And really talking to our transitioning veterans, our veterans, our families of veterans that are that are seeking employment, and it's really it, it really nails down to not underselling yourself. And what I explain is, is a resume is a piece of paper to get you into the door. And then, of course, you have to sell yourself and really make sure that it's what I like calling a marriage. Whenever you're you know you're being interviewed, you are actually interviewing that company just as much as they're interviewing you. So you know we go over questions, we do mock uh, interviews. Uh, we, we basically do mentorship and really work on resumes and, you know, I probably spent about two and a half hours on this person's resume today just to update it to where, you know, we could send this to, you know, multiple positions that, that, you know, TM veterans uh, works with and, you know, just to name states that, uh, you know, that we have openings for right now. And this is logistics, this is operations, uh, professional drivers, um, trying to think, uh, dispatch, uh, there, there's multiple, multiple, uh, positions that we have and, you know, they're in Ohio, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, uh, Iowa, uh, Illinois, uh, Maine, Michigan, Montana, North Carolina, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Texas, Wisconsin, California, uh, and that's just to name some. So, uh, to answer your question, there, there's kind of a twofold on that question. And, you know, number one is uh, underselling yourself, not putting the information down. Number two is not 
using the uh, the transition assistance program to really understand how important a resume is. And I'm not saying that it's a a uh, you know basically you you have to have a just what I like calling a rocking resume, but it's something to get you into the door, uh, you know, with the company and to understand that you know even though you have a veteran uh, background. Basically, they want to know what you did in the military, and you know. So we really do that mock interview and kind of help the the veteran change the wording from, you know, military to civilian. Uh, because, you know, again, if, if we all talked on this on the uh, on the show right now, we talked about, you know, pull of packs changing, uh, you know, PMCS and uh, you know training room S1, S3 shop, things like that. All of us understand that, but if you never served in the military and you're an HR manager. And you're doing an interview, you know, you, you, you lost them right there when you said S1 or S3 or, you know, something like that. Antoine Orlando, plug in, guys. Hey, hold on. Not much. Glad to be back. Did you have any thoughts or thoughts or comments about that? Well, um, you know the, the the resume the resume piece is something I can uh, uh, definitely attribute to. Uh, I've gone through several interviews, several recruitments, and not only helping you know me understand because I've been on the military for about two years or more, so that's something that I personally as well as other members uh, that we work with. Kind of understanding more about where they've been and where they go. So, uh, we, we definitely understand those challenges and uh, we constantly help other veterans realize their potential uh, without having them undersell themselves, which is a, a common battle. So, we definitely understand that. Hey, Perry, can I have a, add a thought? This is Sherman. Can you hear me, Perry? Are you on mute? I'm pretty sure that Perry bought, muted himself. <laughs> I'm getting good at this. You, no one's muted. Y'all are on. Okay, um, this is Sherman. I'm, I'm just going to add another thought to what's already been said. Um, it's easy to underestimate... Um, just how much help veterans really need. I'll give you an example. I joined the Marine Corps at age 17. Uh, I got out after 12 years due to severe injury. I had never filled out a resume in that time. I had never sat for a job interview. Um, I was a commissioned officer up for private. I've, I've done a lot. But the simple act of putting together a, a resume of, of, of essentially bragging on your qualifications and experience for a job, that was tough. It was very tough to do because it, it was all over the place. You know, most most service members do a whole lot uh, in a short period of time. And so how you pack that down and, and make it succinct, uh, that could be a tough process, especially if you've never gone through it. And uh, the gentleman who talked about how veterans get those tap classes in and uh, the other programs set up to help transition, it's, it's hard to understand its value when you've never had to appreciate its value. And, and like you said, once they're on the outside trying to figure it all out, uh, it's almost too late. So, um you know that's that's one one aspect of this whole thing that becomes an issue, especially with somebody who did an entire career 
from a very young age. Uh, they've probably never they, they stood ocean boards and they've done all kinds of other things. But but the, the simple act of a job interview is really tough for somebody who had had to go through that process to get a promotion or a new job, which happens a lot in the military. So um, how we deal with that will be uh, will be very important for the folks on the outside who are helping veterans uh, do better in the process of completing uh, for a job. Hey, Perry, uh, this is Carol. Is uh, Am I live? Yeah, you're live, Carol. Yeah, okay. Sherman, I could not agree with you more on that, uh, what you just said, because last week we actually talked about this, and when I got out of the military, uh, I supposedly had a position, uh, of all things, I wanted to be a firefighter. And I worked out with them, and basically, you know, everything was set up. I showed up that Monday. I got out on a Friday, showed up on Monday, and they said they were doing cutbacks, and I didn't have a job. And the first thing that came through my brain was that I'm going to go back in the uh, in the Army. And I decided to, you know, no, I'm not. I'm going to, you know, just – I've got to come up with a resume because, you know, when I went through TAP, uh, they, they basically just signed off checked, marked, and uh, stamped, and I was out the door. So with that being said, I wrote, and I think my exact words were last week, was the absolute ugliest resume you've ever seen. And I actually (laughs) busted open a uh, Yellow Pages, and I sent out, uh, I went to the post office, and I think I got like 100 stamps and sent out 100 letters with my resume to the HR managers, and I had a position within, you know, a couple of weeks, and, um, you know, I don't regret it at all, but, you know, a perfect example of something that you said is, you know, when we showed up, doesn't matter what branch, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, doesn't matter. Whenever you showed up to your next unit, you didn't have a resume that you had to go to the first sergeant and explain what you did at your past uh, post or, you know, your past unit. And I think that's what, you know, one of the biggest obstacles that I see is, um, you know, they think that, and I say they, I'm talking about people that are transitioning. They think, well, you know, I'm an 11 Bravo or I'm 54 Bravo or whatever the MOS is. That's all I know how to do. And that is, that's, that's very far from reality because again, you know, again, doesn't matter what branch we, we do a lot of cross training. We do a lot of, you know, leadership courses and things like that. And, you know, that there's so much in there as far as logistics and operations and things like that, that, that people are missing. And, uh, that's why I always say that, you know, don't undersell yourself because a uh, perfect example, you know, I've got a, uh, a sergeant major that I'm working with that is retired and, uh, he actually got an offer letter today and it was so funny because he was like, well, you're my NCOIC, you know, I'm listening to you. And of course he, you know, he outranks me, but, uh, it, it was just really funny that it was, you know, what it all boiled down to was veterans helping veterans. And that's something that, uh, that we take a lot of pride in as, uh, you know, not only the mentorship, but, uh, you know, helping with resumes and, you know, the mock interviews and different things like that. Guys, I'm going to have to jump in here. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more that that is an absolute fact, that that's something that takes, you know, priority that we don't see a lot of these days. But, you know, I hate to be the devil's advocate, but, I mean, that's why Perry loves me so much. Um, You know, I've, I've seen with a lot of vets that they, you know, now the GI Bill should be and ideally is designed as a leg up for our nation's veterans that are transitioning out of service. But what 
one thing that you do see is, is a, a form of complacency with our transitioning service members who get out and are solely going to school because the GI Bill comes with a little bit of an extra stipend along with it every month for housing. And you'll see veterans with, you know, unrealistic expectations. They expect that once they get out, because they're a veteran, there are companies that want to hire them. So they won't have a problem finding a job. But they figure, I'm going to go to school, maybe two years, get an associate's degree, maybe, let's say, you know, uh, some crazy thing like fine arts, you know, fine arts appreciation or something like that. You know, something that they're never going to use in their career field but they do it just because it comes along with BAH. Do you see that as a problem that is stifling our veterans in transition? Yes, I do. And, you know, one thing that, that you really hit the nail on the head is, you know, the GI Bill, uh, you know, housing, and basically we'll call it, you know, your food allowance and your, your tuition mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, GI Bill is not going to pay as much as you think. And and I say you anybody thinks, you know one of the one of the things that that I see a lot of is transitioning veterans using the GI Bill to obtain their Class A license, and this is for professional drivers. And mm-hmm. one of the, the the things that that I tell a lot of the uh, the veterans is that there's so many companies that will do the training free. You don't even have to spend mm-hmm. your GI Bill. So, um, you know, the, the GI Bill is there for, you know, however you want to spend it. If you want to spend it to go to, you know, professional driving school, great, do it. I mean, it's yours. You you earned it. But to say that and, you know, again, I'm, I'm a little bit up to speed on this, but, you know, post 9-11, you can actually pass the GI Bill down uh, to your family members, I know there's stuff that's, that's only you know, that, if that's, you've served a certain amount of time. I believe it's correct. over ten years. Correct. So you know, if you served over ten years, and uh, you know, I, I would have loved to to uh, pass my GI Bill down to my son that is you know going to school for uh, forensics. So you know, it, my whole thing on the GI Bill is that, it, or what I see the most of is you know a lot of the transitioning soldiers using the GI Bill to obtain their Class A license. And instead of spending that GI Bill for that, there are so many companies that will that will train you free of charge and pay you while you're doing your uh, your training and, you know, give you all the seat time that you need. And, um, you know, the perfect example, uh, we talked about uh, – you know, personnel, homeless veterans uh, last week a little bit, Alex. And, uh, you know, I know one in particular that, um, you know, that, that I got basically, I'm going to say, uh, you know, in touch with a great, great company. And they are actually uh, have obtained their CDL license. Uh, you know, they're, they're over the road right now. So they, they've got a place to stay in the truck. They're saving up so that they can call a certain place home, and it, and it was really helping the uh, the homeless veteran where they didn't have to go and you know file for their GI Bill and uh, you know basically spend it to obtain their uh, Class A license. So um, you know th- there, there's a lot of companies out there that will train you and pay exceptionally well. Uh, you know, not only during your training but even after your uh, you know your training is completed without using that GI Bill. Sherman, I'd like to get some of your thoughts. I mean, 
Carol, what you brought up was absolutely amazing, and it's absolutely true. I mean, there are a lot of companies out there that will do that, but how do we change that mindset? And, I mean, Sherman, I think that you'll be one of the great people to talk about this with, is how do you change that mindset to where people are utilizing the tools that are available to them in the most prudent manner? Well, I think the thing is, uh, as I mentioned earlier with our HEAL program, I don't think any two veterans are the same. Um, I've counseled retiring lieutenant colonels that had five-page resumes because they listed every single school uh, that, that he attended. Um, I've talked to sergeants who have, uh, you know, six, seven deployments, and, and they put a lot of focus on, on those types of activities. But I think it's uh, it's really about understanding who the veteran is and what the veteran wants to do. Um, you know, somebody who, who drove, uh, who was crashed by a rescue in the military, man, I want to them when he or she up. Um, so it's really about one-on-one time and trying to understand that veteran's value uh, and what will make that veteran happy. Um, I, I, one thing I hated doing was throwing a bunch of jobs at a veteran just because the jobs were open and they seemed like a good fit. They didn't seem happy. It really does take time. And uh, there are creative ways to make a, a, yourself more competitive. If you've got a, uh, a secret clearance or a higher clearance as you get out, that becomes a – you know, a, a really hot item to, to emphasize on your resume for the Booz, uh, Allen Hamiltons and, and Deloitte and, and, and companies like that. Um, so it's really, I think, uh, Terry sales, it was a, it's a matchmaking process. It's a marriage. And if, if the veteran can be patient, maybe go to school, uh, target the set of skills that he or she is trying to develop as a student, um, and think outside the box. I think coding is a big growing industry, and a lot of veterans have the the G2, as we call it in the Marine Corps, to pick up on something like coding, even if they hadn't done that before. Um, but look at hot industries. Look at industries that are growing, not just for veterans, but for uh, you know the, the general public, because that's really the path forward. Um, you got to be able to compete with the general public, not just other veterans. So I try to help veterans think really hard about what they're really good at and, and translate that maybe into another discipline or another uh, occupation that, that that veteran may not have thought about. Um, and that, that's really an in-depth process that requires a lot of really understanding who the person is in front of you. Um, veterans who have issues with post-traumatic stress, you know, that's something they have to overcome in the work setting. And so we have to think about jobs that are ideal. But there's one other piece that was valuable um, in a program I'd set up some years ago, we used to engage the employer on behalf of the veteran. We would talk to the employer about what that person wanted to hire or what types of uh, what type of people fit best in that particular job opportunity. And uh, so we, we were actually in between the employers and the veterans. We knew what the veterans' disabilities were. We knew what the uh, you know the employer can't ask about things like post-traumatic stress, but we can kind of go between and help facilitate uh, a, a good a good rapport between the veteran who's got a lot to offer but may have some things that he needs to overcome and an employer who wants to hire veterans but may be gun-shy because of the, the mystery that some veterans present. So the program do more of that where they also educate employers on how to talk to veterans, how to engage veterans, uh, why they're fighting for the workplace. In fact, there are a lot of employers that don't even know how many have uh, so if they, if they pay attention to the veterans that are already there, you may be able to create an environment that's right before having these new veterans come in. Uh, so we do a lot of 
employer awareness as well. I think that's another important piece of any program that seeks to uh, help transitioning veterans find careers. Absolutely, and I, I, I firmly believe that there needs to be more employer education, but there's also I, – I, I feel that we, as, as military service organizations, and I feel the military itself needs to put a little bit more emphasis on finding how it works when you're just seeing, like you know, we talked about last week, a lot of veterans getting out, not going through ACAP, falling through that crack because all they're looking for is a signature – you have a lot of veterans and service members who, you know, decide that the GI Bill is going to be their way of surviving and providing for their family without the realistic expectation of what it actually costs to live outside the military. A lot of people see the, the, the BAH that comes along with it, but they don't realize the consequences that BAH has. I mean, if you fail one or two classes, you may lose that. You may lose, you know the ability to provide for your family that month, and then now you're in a downward spiral worrying, what am I going to do? And then you also have the veterans who, like we said, not all two veterans are the same. You may have a veteran with, you know, with a traumatic brain injury or PTSD that, you know, is looking for a job that may not be best suited for what may, what they may be capable of at that moment. And, uh, I think that's one of the things that we need to re-educate ourselves as a military and how we're benefiting the soldiers before they get out and educating ourselves. I say ourselves, but <laughs> educating, you know, the instructors of these classes and the facilitators of these classes as well as the service members that are coming through it. And, uh, you know, I'm not paid enough to come up with solutions, but, you know, what 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 could change at that level? How would we be able to move forward from that? Well, one thought I have is is my um, sort of a peer mentor process. When, when most service members go overseas, especially if they're a family, you could get a uh, kind of a peer family that's already in the area to where you're uh, going, um, and that family will help you adjust. Uh, I experienced this when I got stationed in Japan for three years. Uh, there was a family that helped use a transition. I think that the DOD and the VA maybe can think through a plan with or as a sign if the veteran opts for that or if the service member opts to have that. Uh, but but if a, if, a, if a veteran, let's say they're leaving June and going back to Kansas, uh, maybe the, the, the Department of Veterans Affairs at the state level or the federal state uh, might set up a peer mentor process that somebody like me who's willing to sign up for something like that I find out if a family coming to the Virginia area, I'd be happy to uh, make a connection with those people and help figure out issues like housing, the best schools, um, where the jobs are hot. You know, I mean, I, I work in the D.C. Virginia area, so I I talk to people all the time who are looking. UPS is a big hire for veterans, and it's not just the UPS drivers; they have a lot of operations within that the multinational corporation. So, um, I always thought a peer mentor. Uh, setup or, or some kind of program would be ideal, especially if the veteran's going to miss out on a whole lot of the ACAP or TAP classes. Um, that might be one way to fill that gap. I think, the I think that would be an amazing uh, idea. being looked at is sponsorship. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the Army had the same thing. You know, if you were going, say, from, uh, you know, 2ID Korea, basically at Camp Casey, and say you were going to uh, 
Fort Stewart, Georgia, you know, you had a sponsor that would get in touch with you and, and start talking to you, start telling you about the area and everything else. So, uh, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more basically on a sponsorship. And uh, I think everybody on this, this uh, you know, show right now would have no problem with signing up to be a sponsor in their specific areas, uh, you know, where they live. And, you know, that would just continue to grow because it, it is a very, very difficult task. And a lot of people say, well, I'm just getting out of the military. You know, uh, I only served, you know, five years. I still remember, uh, you know, the civilian life. But believe it or not, if you just you sit there and you think back about when all of us were in the military, um, <laughs> you know, look how much the military changed just in five years. And, mm -hmm. you know, the civilian world uh, probably changes at double the speed that the military changes at. So, you know, it's not the same civilian world that you that you were part of before you, you know, signed up and, you know, uh, basically joined the military. So, you know, I, I agree. I think it was Sherman that said that as far as the uh, the sponsorship. And, you know, you, you have a lot of veterans that would not have one single problem with, uh, with being a sponsor on something like that. And I think that that would help in a lot of other areas, not just specifically on – you know, the, the schools and, you know, the areas and things like that, but also that mentorship as far as, you know, if, if somebody's having a tough time, you know, or what position should I look at and, you know, what companies are in the area, you know, just different things. I mean, I, I think it's a great idea. Definitely. And, uh, very quickly, you know, one, one of, the, of the things uh, I, I, I was really going to stay out of this conversation mostly, but as I was sitting here and I'm listening to you guys, and I hear you guys talk to each other and encourage each other. One of the reasons why, Carol, I, I originally talked to you about coming on was that, you know, you go step by step with these veterans and you really help them. And I didn't. And what was amazing was what Sherman said about how he didn't have any experience on in in in, in writing a resume. And I thought to myself, you know. That's exactly. I mean, we have there. There are so many organizations out there that are doing so many things for veterans, but something as simple as giving them the confidence to be able to present themselves in an accurate manner, so that they can get the job that they want. I think that's really right. important. And, and 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 I and I just got to tell you, the fact that you guys are plugging in and going back and forth, I know there's somebody who's listening right now who's unemployed who's without hope, who probably feels very alone and feels like they can't, you know, and, and, and the bills are piling up and the parent, the kids are crying. I mean, they're, the stress levels. And this is right. actually why I wanted to have Antoine and Orlando on, because these two guys have been homeless. They've had some really just crappy things happening to them. And I think from their viewpoint and how, and, and to know what it's like to feel like that, and then and then to see, you know, how involved they are now and all the things that they're doing, I think is a great encouragement. So just know, guys, that, that you're that whatever little or or a lot you have to say does matter. Uh, Vanessa, I'm here, Perry. You you sent me a message about a, a, a possible comment. Go ahead with that. Right. Um. I. I... Alex and I were talking about this earlier, uh, well, last week, um, how that uh, volunteer activity 
can be incorporated in your resume and help to boost your resume. Let's say you have a veteran that they're an MBET and they're volunteering, um, but they don't know how to translate all of the things that they have a passion about that they're already working at as volunteer to their resume to apply for a job. You know, yeah, we, we definitely talked about that. And that was one of the big things like, and one thing that was one of the big things that helped me when I was creating the volunteer handbook for our post at post 45, that hopefully department of Indiana will pick up is we, we took our volunteer resume or volunteer titles and their job positions. And we gave it to these veterans who are doing these positions one, because it helps motivate them and it gives them a, 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 a purpose. They know exactly what they're doing. When Instead of calling somebody a volunteer, you call them a homeless veteran outreach specialist. That is something that can directly translate into the civilian sector, and it is something that they know, this is what I'm doing. I'm outreaching to homeless veterans. And I got that idea when I was in the Army. I volunteered even when I was in the Army through Army Community Service, an Army, Army Volunteer Corps. And I got the idea because when I volunteered with them, they gave me a, a job title. And I think that my first one I had was uh, administrative support specialist. And I helped with office paperwork and, and duties like that. But once you volunteer with ACS, once you leave that base, you get a resume from Army Community Service that you could print out that told you where you volunteered, what your position was, how long you did it for, what the duties excuse me, what the duties and responsibilities of that position were, and you could translate it out. I'd love to see in the future the military adopt something like that, that once a veteran transitions out, it takes pretty much what's on your ERB or your enlisted record brief or your ORB for your officers, and it translates that into civilian lingo, and that once you get out, just as easy as it was to print off your ERB and ORB while in the service, you just log in, print it off, that as you're exiting, you can get something along those lines that, that translates your career into civilian speak and then just fill in the gaps just a little bit to where you have those minute details that may get overlooked by that job description. To where right now, when you look up and you print off the RB, like, like Terry says, or, or I'm sorry, Carol said, it, it just tells you pretty much the textbook definition of an 11 bang bang or 11, or a 19 delta or, you know, whatever your MOS may be. It just prints off that specific definition. And that's something that I think would be beneficial is to transition to a system where, you know, okay, this is an 11 Bravo. We are going to use civilian lingo, a job description, and put that so you can print it off once you get out. Add one thing to that, Alex, uh, all of your extra duties. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you were, again, you were the training NCO or you worked in the three shop or you worked in the one shop mm -hmm. or the motor pool or whatever, you know, you, you just. Because that goes in. on your ERB too. Correct. And so you can actually sit there and, you know, if you sat there and talked about your PT scores and mm -hmm. your, uh, you know, company averages and things like that you know, it, it would translate, I'm just throwing something wild out there, it would translate to, you know, Excel knowledge, writing macros, basically, uh, uh, you know, having your, your formulas in there, you know, things like that, it, it would it would translate it. So could not agree more because if you pull up 54 Bravo, you know, I'm just using that as an example, you know, nuclear mm -hmm. biological chemical, you know, what can mm -hmm. you do in the, in the outside? Well, you know, that was my MOS. 
and mm-hmm. I got into the transportation industry. And the transportation industry, I mean, has it, it like we said last week, it was so broad. And one thing that Sherman said, uh, you know, earlier that uh, I kind of smiled, but I had a first sergeant that really mentored me, and I. I guarantee I would not be who I am today without his, you know, mentorship and his leadership. But one thing he always asked me was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And (laughs) I would always laugh at him and I'd say, you know, hey, Top, I said, you know, I don't want to grow up, so there's no reason to talk about it. And he would always laugh and say, okay. And I did not know what he was talking about until I already exited the military. And what Mm -hmm. he was trying to say was that there was life after the military and you need to start planning for what you want to do. And just because, again, you're an 11B or a 54 or 19 kilo, or, you know, I don't care what the MOS is, even though you're one of, you know, that MOS does not mean that that is the specific job that you can have. And that's one of the mentorships that, that we sit there and we go down our checklist. And, you know, although I don't have every single MOS for every single branch and have it to where it's military terms translated to civilian terms, but really talking to, you know, to the veterans and, you know, what, what I like calling the mentorship, excuse me, and understanding what they did and, you know, kind of, you know, sprucing up the resume as far as, uh, you know, understanding that, you know, you have operations experience or you have logistics experience, you know, your computer experience, uh, you know, your leadership experience, you know, that there's so much. And and that's one thing that's so, I think, lost in the, how do I say it, lost in the shuffle in the military is people think, okay, 11B, you're strictly 11B. But, again, it doesn't matter what branch, everybody is cross-trained a lot. And what I mean by that is there's so many different things that we have done that, uh, you know, should be on that resume. And, again, changing mm-hmm. it to civilian uh, terminology is, you know, that is a challenge. I get it. I understand it. But, uh, you know, I couldn't agree more with uh, what Sherman said on several topics. But, uh, you know, what First Sergeant always said to me is something that, that I say to a lot of the veterans is, you know, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, what do you mean? And, you know, you start talking about it and you really open their eyes to, you know, say an 11 Bravo or, you know, I don't know what the MOS is for an MP, but they think, well, law enforcement is the only thing. Well, if you want to law series. enforcement, that's great. Well, I'm sorry, 31 what? Uh, well, it's a 31 series. So MP, you have 31 Bravo, which is your military policeman. You have 31 Kilo, which is your K9 hand, or I think you have 31 gotcha. Echo, which is like but corrections. all of those – you know, it, it doesn't mean that you have to be a, uh, you know, in law enforcement. So, right. uh, you know, just could not agree more. And I mean, I think Perry's ultimate, you know, question, what he asked is a great one. And to, you know, not only the sponsorship, but also the military bases. And I deal with a lot of military bases and, you know, the majority of them are, are fantastic, but, you know, to really explain that civilian wording, because again, if, Alex or Sherman, you know, never served, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you either of you are interviewing me, and I start talking about, you know, pulling packs and arms room and, you know, training NCO and things like that. I lost you right there. You know, you're, you're oh, yeah. okay, well, you, you, you served in the Army, you know, congratulations, but what can you bring to this company? That's what they're looking for, and, 
you know, uh, uh, again, I think I heard the word marriage. And, you know, that's the other thing that we say all the time. It's got to be a marriage. i got to love you just as much as you love me. And, you know, when, when you're being interviewed during the mock interview that, that we do is, hey, I want to show you that, look, I'm interviewing you, but I want you to interview me back. So we help them with questions, you know, basically what's your benefits package? You know, do you have profit sharing? Is there a 401K? You know, what does a daily routine basically look like? So you get a better knowledge of what that company is, you know, bringing to the table. And if it's a good fit, uh, again, one of the one of the things that I see a lot of is, you know, soldiers that are deploying back that that do not have a lot of time to to go to the classes, and of course they get out, and um, I, I, I hate to say it the way I'm going to say it, but but they're lost. And what I mean by that oh, yeah. is they uh, they they just don't know which way to go. They don't know who to call. They don't know any. You know, I'm not going to say they don't know anything, but, you know, they never had the chance to go to that big job fair because they were deployed. And when they came back, they had three weeks and, you know, bam, they're out. So uh, I think that, that there's a lot of things that we can do for our veterans. And, you know, it all starts with, you know, educating them, whether it's the resumes, whether it's the mentorship, whether it's the sponsorship, you know, there, there's just, in my personal opinion, there's so many things that we can do more for our veterans that are getting out than we are currently doing. Exactly, and it, and, it, and the scope goes way beyond that. And I, I'd like to bring Orlando back into the fold and Antoine after I, I mention this, because this speaks directly to something that happened with their transitions. You know, they they uh, Orlando ended up homeless for 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 a, over over a decade, over a decade and a half. And one of the things that we're seeing with our military is with their transition. Now, this is this this goes beyond your resume. It goes beyond your your vocational expertise. You're coming back from deployment, and you you have all of these briefings. You have this reintegration brief. They do these screenings for mental health. And what I found is we're pretty much teaching our military to lie. We're teaching them to lie that they're okay. Because you don't want to lose your military career because you say, you know what, oh, I have been thinking you about. Just opened up a bag of worms. <laughs> I know so, a big I, bag I did. of worms right there, Alex. It, it's a big bag of worms, but it needs to be talked about because you're teaching them to lie. You're teaching them to say, I don't want to lose my military career, so no, I'm not going to tell you about the six sleepless nights I've had last week. You know, I'm not going to tell you about how me and my wife are always fighting how I'm waking up from nightmares and, you know, I'm afraid of what I'm going to do. I look at my wife and I have no feeling anymore. You know, I look at my kids and, and I'm losing my control. And we're teaching our military service members to lie about that because they don't want to lose their military career because it's, 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 it's taboo. It's not something that is accepted. It's a career killer in most military members' minds. And then when you finally do get help, you have somebody that goes to the doctor and says, I'm thinking about killing myself. Help me. And what happens, you get institutionalized, usually for a period of 14 weeks. I don't know about you, but there's not a damn problem I've had in my head or in my mental health or even in my physical body that's been covered or even remotely addressed within 14 days. <laughs> so you're teaching our military oh, wow. service members once they're into the hospital, hospital to lie just to get back out into the life so they could start working on it. Because if you tell them, yeah, I've been here for 14 days and I'm still thinking about killing myself, they're never going to let you out. And then you right. have to ask, 
how long is okay to keep this service member in the, you know, under, you know, commitment? How long is enough? Uh, (laughs) You know, that's definitely a bag of worms right there that you opened. But uh, (laughs) um, Uh, if I can, if I could chime in on this. Uh, Carol, would you be, it'd be okay if Orlando chimed in on this real quick? No, go ahead, Orlando, please. Hey, we got all the time. We um, got all the time. We got almost forty minutes already, so we're good. <laughs> well, uh, you know, as as Alex mentioned, yeah, I, I homeless. You know, uh, actually, sixteen years I was homeless. Um, but that wasn't directly after the military. It took some time after the military, but it was. You know, I, I came in in 79, came out in 85. I was never told about, you know, anything about the GI Bill. I was, even though I knew they were taking money out of my check, but that was about it. Um, I wasn't interviewed. I was just given a bunch of papers, and it was like, okay, sign here, sign here, sign here. Thank you very much. You know, peace, love you. You're gone. Um, you know, and... I, you know, once I got it in 85, I had to figure out what to go ahead and do. And, and at one point, you know, like Alex said, I lied. I didn't even mention to a, a lot of, a, of the employers that I was in the military because I was like, okay, how are they going to hire somebody that was just a grunt? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that was you know I mean yes I I worked in logistics but that was in a warehouse going over you know SOPs I mean mm-hmm. so I was like okay well I just won't say nothing about the military yeah and it took about ten years before I even decided to go ahead and start mentioning it and it was sort of an afterthought you know and a lot of my buddies even went through the same thing and it was like you know but the the problem I had though was that. Here it is after going through my trauma in 83 with the Beirut bombing. I didn't know how to handle that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all these years go by, three marriages, three divorces, uh, you know, all sorts of things that gone on with my kids. I didn't have a good relationship with them, and I wind up homeless. You know, I, and it was like, okay, how do I handle this? Three times I've already, you know, I had attempted suicide in the last 17 years. You know, twice on my birthday, but it was like I just had to keep on going. I'm working on a doctorate right now, and all the money that I pay for school from undergrad till now has come from student loans. It hasn't come from the GI Bill because I didn't know that um, I had lost it. You know, I only had 10 years after getting out of the service that I could go ahead and use it. I didn't find out until three years ago. So, you know, and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, veterans have gone through that where they don't they don't get, you know, a lot of information coming out. Now, granted, a, a lot of them that are coming out now are getting the information. But back when I got out back in you know in the 80s and even into the 90s, a lot of, you know, a lot of veterans didn't get that information. And even those before me didn't get the information. Yeah, so um, it's, and then when it comes down to, you know, getting help, you really don't want to let anybody know that you're going through all these changes, you know, in your life, you know, um, because then there's the stigma. Oh, well, you Mm -hmm. know, he's screwed up in the mind or, you know, we can't hire him, you know, or he's going to be problematic. Yeah, 
I was problematic all the time because <laughs> you couldn't say certain things to me. You couldn't you you couldn't approach me a certain way. You know, I've had to learn how to deprogram myself, and it's not easy because I go through that every day. You know, I just had a death in my you know my family just last month. You know, a, a brother right behind me, 55 years old, he just passed. Generally, when somebody passes away, it takes me a long time to even grieve. We just had a memorial service for him last week, Tuesday. I broke down to the point that I was screaming at people to stop certain things. And I was shaking, which is something that I never, the last time I, sh- I shook, I was in Beirut. So I knew it was going to be explosive. I had to figure out how to calm myself down. So it's, it's you know, it's a lot that I've been through, and, you know, I don't mind telling people now. You couldn't get me to talk about this years ago, but I don't mind talking about it now. You know, it's a lot. It's, you know, there, there are veterans that will go ahead and they got this one problem. They got, you know, maybe a couple of problems here and there. No, I've had a multitude of problems. I mean, even to the point that there are people that don't even want to hire me, you know, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I go ahead and I do what I have to do every day to help out veterans get their lives in order, get get themselves, you know, transitioned in, whether it's with their benefits, housing, whatever the case may be. At least I feel good. Would I like to have a paycheck? Oh, that would be great. Would I like to go ahead and pay my bills? Absolutely. You know, I got to sort of beg Peter to pay Paul to, you know, let Carlos know that I'm going to give him an IOU. I mean, it's, you know, that's pretty much what it is, but yeah. Um, and I know a lot of veterans that go through that. They don't know what to do at the end of the day. They'd rather just stay homeless and see what they could go ahead and get. That way they don't have any bills to pay. And, and, you know, and if their life ends, then so be it. Yeah. Now Orlando, are you seeing a lot of veterans? Are you seeing a lot of veterans going through that that are, 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 are have pretty much been conditioned to lie, whether it's through institutionalization, like with a mental hospital for PTSD or some form of trauma that they've suffered, that they've, yeah. you know, I've you know, you've got all these grief. I've spoken a lot. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and I think that has to come back to it because it's, it's you know, it's a quality of life issue. You know, you you've gotten these veterans to a point where that's the out that they see, whether it be that they're transitioned out and they don't know how to handle it because they can't get a job or they have PTSD or they have trauma or they have a disability that came along with the military. You know, we have conditioned our service members to a point to lie, whether it's, let's be honest, you know, I'm sure everybody on this show has said it and, you know, I'm pretty sure there's statute of limitations, so we'll be good. You know, I'll be honest. I, and this is, this is, this is real. I have stolen things from other units to benefit mine when I was in the Army, you know, whether it be a heavy tire, whether it be a can of paint. But we don't call it stealing, do we? What do we call it? Appropriating. Appropriating or tactically acquiring. (laughs) There you go. It's not theft. It's not theft. It's either tactical acquirement or it's reappropriation. Right. So we just in that we've taught our military service members to lie about how they get things or how things come to be. We've taught service members how to lie when you get back from deployment and they say everything's fine. I haven't, you know, I haven't thought about choking my wife in a couple of days. I haven't thought about, you know, ending my life. Right. You know, it, it comes down to a fact that it, it's it's 
it's not a transition problem that we have. It's not a mental health crisis that we have. It's a quality of life issue that we have. Because, you know, as my, you know, I, I was a pastoral counselor for several years. I was a chaplain at a hospital. And even in my own personal experience, I've come to realize that the point when you say, I'm going to end my life, it's already too late. Because if you're dedicated to end your life, you know, there's nothing anybody can do at that moment that is going to change your mind. If you are dedicated to killing yourself, it will happen. Right. And there's not anything anybody can do. I think what the problem is is what has prospered in that seed between the transition from the military to now, to that point. You know, the seed was probably planted when it, there was a trauma or when there was a loss of a job or a relationship. When you come back from deployment and your house is empty and your wife or kids are gone, that seed has already been planted. It is what is watering that plant. What is nurturing that seed to grow to the point where suicide and ending your life is the only option? Well, one thing, uh, this is Carol again. That was a little bit of a rant. I do apologize. That happens on no, the show. One, no, one thing that, that I want to add to that is, uh, you know, TM Veterans, we have a radio uh, show also. And, you know, we, we basically have guests speak from different companies. And, of course, we don't talk. Uh, generally about this, which I'm, I'm very appreciative of uh, being part of this, but uh, we had Piper, who is a nonprofit organization uh, founder, and it's called Healing for Heroes. And you know, it was it was funny because she talked about, and I, and I say funny, that's probably a bad word to say, but it was so interesting that we're talking about, you know, the the thinking about suicide, thinking about different things. And that's one reason that she started the Healing for Heroes. And what it is, is it's basically training of service animals for, you know, uh, veterans with PTSD or traumatic brain injury or, uh, you know, ESAs or, you know, the, the list goes on and on. But Piper, her organization does a great job. And, you know, anybody that's listening can go to TM Veterans. Um, you know, dot com and go to our TM Veterans Radio, pull down and you'll see the Healing for Heroes and listen to what Piper says. And it's it's a lot of what we're talking about. But one thing I definitely want to say before anybody uh, starts going again, but Orlando, you are a uh, you're an inspiration because you, you you never gave up and you you definitely said some things that uh, you know you wanted to give up, but you uh, you kept fighting and. Uh, uh, that, that's definitely an inspiration. So, you know, that's uh, thank you for for doing that. That's that's pretty awesome. Hey, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. And, I mean, whatever I definitely. whatever I, you know, I, I I look at it like this. Whatever I could go ahead and do to help people, uh, because that's what I've done pretty much all my life is help people. Even though I've been self destructive myself. Um, but I'll help people. I'll, I'll go out there and go out of my way. And if it comes down to giving the shirt off my back, yeah, I'll be pissed off later because I gave up gave up my shirt. But at least somebody's using it. Um, you know, I help somebody out. You know, but you know, it, it's it's so for me. I I came up with the whole argument to myself: How is it that I can help so many people, but I don't know how to help myself? And uh, and I found that there's a lot of veterans that are like that. They, you know, they're like, okay, I don't know how to help me. I, you know, I need somebody to hold my hand. And there's a lot of people out there that are not willing to hold, you know, a veteran's hand. 
They're like, well, you went out there, you you did it, you you served this country. Why should I have to hold your hand to go ahead and you know uh, get a job or or see a doctor or you know whatever the case may be? Um, maybe because we just don't know how to do it. Yeah, we've been so conditioned into being the fighters that we're supposed to be and go out there and get things done that how do we get things done for ourselves? How do we fix things that have, you know, have taken place in our lives? You it's know, we, absolutely we just, awesome you know, that you mentioned that. It's, it's abs- like, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to interject, but you know, it's absolutely yeah. awesome that you mentioned okay. that because I was at the VA the other day. Now, Anybody that knows me knows I'll be willing to give the shirt off my back as long as it helps somebody. And I go out and I give my 110%. And people even at my post say, Alex, I I, I know you want to take this on. That's awesome. But we're already overwhelming you. And and I sometimes need people to tell me, hey, man, take a break. We got this. And my social worker at the VA the other day, I go in, he's asking, so what's going on in your life? And I'm telling him everything that we're doing with AMVETS how I'm helping other people. And he's like, that's great. I'm glad you found a purpose, but what are you doing for you? And I couldn't think of a single thing that I'm doing for me because I'd keep coming back. Well, I'm helping this vet. I'm helping that vet. And it's giving me a purpose again. But I, as I thought about it, I'm like, wow, he's really striking a chord with me because I can't come up with any single thing that I do for myself that is solely for myself. And I think that, you know, when you have veterans in our position, like myself, Orlando, Antoine, you have, you know, Vanessa, you have yourself, Carol, that's, I think that's one of the pitfalls that you'll see a lot of veterans fall into. Because in the military, we're taught to be caretakers. We're, we're fighting overseas to protect people who are less fortunate and can't defend themselves or we're defending the people on the home front from experiencing the traumas that we experience overseas. And then we get back and we help other veterans. And the question that always keeps coming back is what are you doing for you? And I I was at a loss for words. And I'm sure Orlando, that's something that's been asked of you a couple of times. (laughs) I want to add one thing to that, Alex. Uh, Go ahead. Even when, even when, you know, when I went to the E5 board, uh, I still remember it. You know, w- one of the things in the Army, the NCO creed is, no one is more professional than I. I am a leader of soldiers. We were trained right then to put our soldiers ahead of ourselves. So mm-hmm. that goes hand in hand to what you're saying. And, you know, it, and I really had a smile on my face when you said that because I just sat there and asked myself, you know, what have, what have I done? And honestly, last Saturday, I went out and set a deer blind. It's bow season. And, you know, I just sat there and looked at nature. And it was something that I did for myself. And I don't don't get to do that a lot because, you know, my focus is I want to help the veterans. And we're we're sitting here and we're talking about, you know, I, I don't call them problems. I call them opportunities. But, you know, one of the solutions is... That uh, and, and I'm a firm believer in this. We just need to figure this out. And you know, I think we we got some some awesome brain power on this show. Is that you know the sponsorship? And if you look at a organization like Amvets, you know Amvets is everywhere. And I, I'm I'm hard pressed to say that that there are not Amvet members all over the United States that 
would not help out with sponsorships. And I'm not talking about necessarily, uh, you know, what school's the best and, you know, what area is to look at, but just somebody to talk to. Um, exactly. You know, if I, if, I, if I sit there and I listen to what Orlando's doing, um, you know, the, Orlando, and, and you quote me if I'm wrong when I say this, but a lot of times you didn't have anybody to talk to that could really relate to what you're doing. And I think that that is is something that is needed because I personally think that, you know, if, if you're getting out of the military right now, some of them, it's there's the door by, see you. And they're not getting the acclimation back to the civilian world, and they don't they don't know what to do, and they don't have that mentorship. They don't have that, you know, calling somebody that has either fallen down and gotten back up, or made the same, you know, judgment call or something like that. But um, you know that that is one thing that 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 I know I don't think we you know, and I don't say we don't. We don't take it to the limit that we should after this conversation because I see a lot of improvements that GM veterans can do just by talking about this mentorship uh, because you're, you're focused on, you know, again, what do you want to be when you grow up? What is your what is your background? You know, what part of the country do you want to live in? You know, there's so many things that we're talking about with transition, but there's so many other issues and opportunities that go up to the final result of you know, finding that great position and, you know, putting a roof over the head, clothes on the back, food on the table, and things like that. So um, I, I definitely want to throw that in there, Alex, so I apologize for interrupting. Hey, no, don't apologize, Carol. I mean, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you said that because, if Sherman, if you're still online, on the air, you know, Sherman posted earlier today the Marine Corps Drill Instructor Creed. The first line of that is, these recruits are entrusted to my care. It's not just an Army issue. It's all throughout the, the branches of service. You're always taught and ingrained in view that those who are less fortunate or less knowledgeable or in a less, you know, less of a rank, less experience, it's your job to be your brother's keeper and to take care of them. You know, and I'm sure that, that you could speak to that as well, Sherman, with, you know, putting others first. Well, just yeah, I'll, I want to say one thing real quick, uh, Sherman. I don't mean to cut you off, but you know, when I look at Orlando, and you you talked about being in the military in the '80s, you paved the way for me because I served in the '90s. Okay, Alex, yeah. I think you served in uh, the uh, the, uh, 2000s. the 2000s. Okay, I mm-hmm. I hope I paved the way for you. And you know, you you look at you look at our brothers and sisters that. You know, again, that served in you know World War II or Vietnam or you know whatever conflict, they paved the way for us. We paved the way for them, and you know the 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 soldiers that are in now, they are training and you know providing that leadership for the soldiers of tomorrow. So you know, I'm I'm a firm firm believer that you know Orlando paved the way for me. Uh, we we never mm-hmm. we never uh, knew each other. You know, we never served with each other. But his part of his leadership, when he when he served, it went over to us, and then of course our, yeah. ours went over to you, Alex. And you know it, it's that uh, it's that generation that just keeps rolling and you know keeps going. So uh, again, that's 
that that's a great thing to uh, a great way I feel to to really look at something like that because you know Orlando made the sacrifice I made the sacrifice you know Alex made the sacrifice all of us knew that we weren't signing up for basket weaving one oh one. Uh, you know, we, we knew what we were doing. So, right, I, I would have, I would have or, liked to sign up for basket weaving 101. I mean, I think yeah, that would have done a lot for my stress. Yeah, or, or that drill sergeant, or not the drill sergeant, but the recruiter really got us. But uh, you know, we knew what we were doing, so we knew that we yeah. were we were going to go hang out with Uncle Sam, and uh, you know, we were going to defend our country, and you know, we were prepared to uh, to make the ultimate sacrifice. And we had brothers and sisters that have done that. And we, we need to, you know, always remember them. And, uh, you know, I do every single day. You know, uh, Josh Byers, uh, second lieutenant, uh, we never even called him lieutenant. We never called him sir. Uh, he just got out of ranger school, and we're just thinking, here we go. And he was by far the best. And, uh, you know, he, he gave the ultimate sacrifice in Iraq. And, um, you know, Ranger Byers is just, that's the man. Yeah. And, and that's definitely true because people have, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times when I tell people what the injuries I suffered and sustained, they say, I'm so sorry to hear that. The fact of the matter is, come on, I, I joined during a time of war in a combat arms MOS. It's not like I expected to do 20 years without anything happening. Now, that's an unrealistic expectation. <laughs> you know, we are all that aware of the sacrifices. <laughs> Yeah, going back, you know, Sh- Sherman, you were, uh, we were you were beginning to speak before Carol came on. Yeah, you know, I was listening to the conversation, and there's so much to unpack there. I often wonder uh, if people don't just throw up their hands and they say, this is too hard to deal with. Um, I think back over my 15-year experience after I left the Marine Corps and how many people I've had to mentor. And it's one thing that if you, if you, if you believe it, you know, you almost make it manifest. No matter what problems you encounter with a particular veteran, there is somebody that went through the same problem and came out of it. I call it being in the hole, where that veteran mm-hmm. is stuck in this hole. And there's an individual who's jumped into that hole and has gotten out of it before. But in my experience, it was having a, uh, a serious spinal cord injury. And I couldn't imagine as a 29-year-old Marine officer what my life was going to look like until uh, a retired Marine with the very same injury, although 18 years prior to mine, came into the room and began to explain to me what it's like to live with the injury, what it's like to uh, still be a Marine with with that injury and, and, and how it's a change in your life, but it's not impossible. And I had to see that visual representation of myself. Um, I think that maybe, maybe homeless veterans uh, may be a bit different because – um, I, I think so many people bypass those those veterans as if they don't count anymore. They're not as anxious to jump in and help. Uh, I hope that that's not always the case, but in my experience, it's really tough uh, because people won't give folks a chance who have really fallen hard. Um, mm-hmm. And I've seen this. I've seen this a lot, and it spans generations of veterans. And if you, you know, if, if you stop and, and talk to a veteran who's been homeless. Um, you find out that there's a story behind it. Um, I, I've been briefly homeless. I returned from overseas, and I had a pretty bad divorce situation. Where I, like a home. And I, I, was, I know what it feels like. Uh, it's about a background. Okay. Um, but I know what it feels like to not have an address. Uh, I was still in the Marine Corps active duty, but I was just 
back from deployment, and uh, and I didn't know I was separated <laughs> from my spouse until I got back. So I, I you know, and I, I took my sea bag and I went on base and slept in the laundry room of, of a barrack. So I never forgot, and it's like you can't ever forget the heart, and that, that's a situation where it seems like there's no good answer. Uh, we're talking about ways that we have to appreciate what the previous generation did for us. We also have to pay it forward. I, I, I use the uh, sentiment, we're not, um, we don't inherit what veterans or the servicemen before us gave us. We are borrowing the future military. We are borrowing future veterans. We are borrowing the culture and what will be in place at that time. And we're, we're making the environment right for their success. You know, the past veterans, they've lived it. They've, they've done what they did, but we're really investing forward into, um, you know, 10 years from now when all these veterans that are living with the uh, consequences of burn pits, they're going to be the new Agent Orange or the Gulf mm-hmm. Orange. What have we done to make our government more accountable? Starting with veterans who were, uh, you know, Agent Orange vet, uh, exposure veterans, but we, now we have the Blue Water Navy veterans. You know, we still deal with Gulf War. This is going to be tough in a couple of decades when these veterans are older and they've got problems that are clearly there, um, but, but the government isn't inclined to to admit it until you beat them up. That's why we do what we do in D.C. Uh, legislatively. Um, Speaking of that, Sherman. Uh huh. I'd like to take a moment as a veteran who uses the VA as his primary source of health care. I'd like to take a moment to thank you on behalf of all the veterans who use the VA for your efforts and what you have done with the recent signing of the new VA budget and all the activities you and those of us in AMVETS and those who are in AMVETS have done to put the pressure on this current administration to signing the largest budget the VA has ever seen. Well, that's uh, that was definitely a big victory for a lot of us who were uh, champions of of uh, making sure the veterans uh, the VA budget was adequate. The next step, though, is making sure that the agency spends the money the correct way and puts the right priorities in place. Um, the VA has never been good about being efficient, and that's that's just an honest assessment after doing this for close to 16 years and watching this happen. Uh, it's not that they never had enough money; it was just the fact that it was wasted in many ways. So we hope that with this big budget, this historic budget, is, is accompanied by um, a better, more efficient process of, of spending the money in the right areas. Uh, and, and we'll watch that closely. Um, that, that was a big victory, but but we got a lot of work to do. I mean, we've got we still have Blue Water Navy veterans who are suffering. We still have women veterans who are not getting the resources that they need and deserve and have earned. Um, and this has implications for the future military. We have we have well, right now. Those who were born after 9-11 are turning 17. That's, that's recruitment age. They're watching mm-hmm. a, a lifetime, a literal lifetime of a country at war. And on the other side of that, how are veterans being treated? Do they really want to be? And that's probably why the 30% of, of graduating students who are eligible, of that 30%, a good number don't join. The, the, the 70% aren't eligible for one reason or another. But that, that remaining 30%, uh, they're not joining in the numbers that the Army and the other services need to replenish the, uh, the military, and that's why you have so many soldiers, um, and you're hearing about some of these soldiers who are 8th ninth 9th deployment getting killed in combat, which is always mm-hmm. a shame. It's like I, I, I use the term, they're playing Russian roulette because they're having to go back. They, they've survived seven, eight deployments, and they're getting killed on the ninth. That should never happen in a, in a, in a country where uh, there's an all-volunteer force 
and a, a legacy of patriotism and joining, uh, it's not happening. There's something changing, and it's going to hurt us in the long run if we don't figure out a way to uh, fix, fix the visuals, the optics around veterans, around homelessness, around suicide. There was a new report. Around quality around, of life. Around, well, that's, all those are factors. But, but the new suicide mm-hmm. report that the VA published, it was very disturbing because it, it revealed a, a new trend that wasn't there before. The post-9-11 generation, males of that generation are killing themselves at a faster rate than any other demographic in the veteran population. That's new. That's, and this is, this is 2016 data, mind you. Uh, and I've criticized that. I've said it's, it needs to be more uh, relevant and, and more uh, relevant to today, not two years old. But, but that was a disturbing trend. And also women veterans, they're also uh, killing themselves at a, at, a, at a rate that is higher than non-women uh, or non-veteran women uh, at, at a rate of 1.8 times greater than their peers who didn't join the military. What does that tell you if you're a young person who's looking to, to do something with his or her life after high school? You know, that's that's not that's not good advertising. That's not a, a good recruitment tool um, if you're having this happen. So there, there has to be this, this sort of society-wide effort, not just those of us who are deep in the trenches, but we have to bring society in because it is a United States problem. It's not a veteran or a VA problem. It's a United States of America problem if we don't fix this. So I'm, all, I'm, I'm looking at going outside of our, our, our usual circles of communication, pushing this message to uh, groups and companies and, and parts of society that never see this kind of problem, and hoping that something resonates so that we can, you know, amount of more collective effort to uh, to fix what's going on. One and and as we saw to, in uh, Alex, really, really quick, Carol, that please. Uh, really, really one, quick. One I'm gonna. You said. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, okay. I was going to say what we saw at our national convention too. It's not just people within our country that are looking to how we solve this problem. We had a delegation from the people's uh, from the Republic of China in, in Taiwan. People from their administrations are coming to AMVETS to the U.S. and looking at how we treat our veterans. So, if we don't get this right, it's not just our veterans who are affected; it's the veterans of other nations who are looking to us for solutions who are affected. Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Carol. <laughs> well, one thing I was going to say, and, and that's a great point, is. You know, there's a lot of leadership, and again, doesn't matter what branch, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, uh, Coast Guard, everything that is getting out of the military. And I actually read an article, uh, I think it came out a couple of weeks ago, that the Army has missed their recruiting number by 70,000 this year. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just think about that, and that probably just opened up another can of worms as far as, you know, when you have and you don't have – the number to replenish that number, I should say, you know, you're creating a problem coming down the road. And uh, exactly. again, the, the, the number was 70,000 as the, uh, the Army has missed recruiting for this year. So, uh, you know, that's, that's probably another can of worms for another day. But uh, well, you know, it goes in that's goes the into thing. line with what Sherman says. If you've listened to this show, if you've listened to this show, usually that's exactly what happens. We open up cans of worms as we get to the final 11th hour, which we're coming close to. We have 15 minutes left to our show, but we just opened up another can of worms. Perry, are you thinking what I'm thinking, brother? Well, if I were to agree to that, some might lock me up, so I'm not going to agree to that statement. 
but I will <laughs> but I but I will because really I really don't know what you really could be thinking. So with all due respect and love, my brother, let me just tell you what I'm thinking. Today is a gift. Okay? Yesterday is history and tomorrow is a mystery. So I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And if we have any opportunity to continue to encourage veterans through this show, no matter what the topic might be, no matter what the discussion might be, I'm in. If you think you can have, get a guest to come on to talk about something, I'm all about it. You know what I mean? You guys are actually the ones who set these topics, not me. It's kind of funny. If you go back and if you to watch some of the or listen to the older shows, a conversation will take place just like we're having now, and all of a sudden, oh, someone says, well, we've got 15 minutes left, and we have another two hours to talk about it. So then it turns into another show. But why don't you go ahead and share, Alex, what you're thinking, and then and then if it has some sort of sanity attached to it, I will be more than happy to run <laughs> along with you with it. <laughs> well... <laughs> Well, Perry, I, I really don't know what he's going to say. I don't know. I mean, really. I was thinking we need part two of Transitioning Veterans next week on That's Ambet's right. Radio. I, brother, I, I, I knew it was that simple. I, I was just trying to make everybody <laughs> laugh because, again, we have a situation where there are people listening right now who are being affected by this show, not just us, okay? Because, again, mm-hmm. we're going to take this information and we're going to pass this on. Because that's just what we do, you know. I don't think any of us who've ever been on Amvets Radio hangs up from Amvets Radio and goes, "Wow, I didn't learn anything." No, what ends up happening is, is well, usually Antoine we end up will calling each other. Brilliant. Antoine will write this brilliant post about what took place on Hamvets Radio that I could never ever write, and and it always makes us look so good. And so, you know, again, this is a team, and you know, as we continue on with these kind of discussions, as God continues to provide finances to keep this show running, we will continue there. But I, again, I have no uh, if. It, if you guys think that there's still more to talk about, we'll talk about it. I think that we and the veterans who are listening to this show and our listeners could absolutely benefit from a transitioning veterans part two, because we've talked about so many things on the show today that have, that have opened yeah, up a can yeah. of worms. Yeah, I know about the website. Like, like even Sheila needs to be a part of this, right, Antoine? Because she could really bring a lot to this conversation. Hey, Perry, how you doing? Yes. Yes. Well, uh, you know, this is, uh, I'm having a hard time uh, hearing uh, you. Do you have, do you, yeah. hold on, hold on. do you have me on speaker? I know, I took it off. Can you hear me? It, it's doubling. It's doubling or even tripling. Oh, really? Yeah. Here, hold, hold on. Reverb on it. Let me call back. You know, I'll but we are coming down there, to Perry, the... But, uh, you know, this is Carol, and, and you hey, know, I, I think you, you could actually have... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, three, brother. four, and five. Go ahead. go ahead, Antoine. Can you hear me now? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah so, uh, Perry, I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, uh, my way I, way I came out of service uh, was a little unique myself, and you know, I always uh, didn't look at my personal circumstances. I always looked to help other people. So I think that's 
kind of how Post 12 and what we do here in D.C. kind of, you know, came about because uh, we forego our own circumstances to help other people, um, you know, gather their circumstances and then through that process that helps us be a better person. And um, I think that's how we met, how our energies kind of connected and, uh, you know, going to the convention, I think that's how we all kind of came together. And it's something that I'm glad to make us look good. You know, we all look good as that. So that's, uh, that's something that I, I cherish. So I thank you for that. What do you think about Sheila Scarborough joining us again next week? Oh, well, Sheila, Sheila that's my girl. She'd be great at this. She, and, and why we didn't include her this week, I don't know. Shame on me. Uh, I think, I'm not going to tell her, though. Yeah, I think – I think during like you know the gaps between the between the broadcast, she said, uh, "Let let me know when you guys are going to be back on, so you know we can okay. get her back on schedule. That's not a problem." Reach out well, tell her next Tuesday, and that well, that Antoine mentioned for his girl on this show, huh? Well, Antoine mentioned his girl. I can't. I, I'd be you know remiss if I didn't mention my girl Vanessa Dillon, who uh, her daughter Meg, you know. But, you know, as Peter Griffin usually says, shut up, Meg. Well, we're going to let Meg talk. I, I hear that Meg has an announcement to make regarding the Junior Ampets up there in Indiana. Vanessa, you there, sweetheart? I'm, I'm here. We better we better go get her because she left the room. Oh, um, Meg. Yeah. And I said, the, the suicide prevention. You know, now, Meg has never heard in the show suicide. before, right, Vanessa? Uh, she hasn't yeah, no, she, she, to the whole she show. She sent it through Messenger. She texted me <laughs> and sent me an email. Never mind. Hey, hey Anton? Wait, wait, wait. Go ahead, Vanessa. Wait. What were you saying? She she's never sat and listened to the whole the whole program live. She has listened, you know, like to the archives and parts of the show. She sat with well, this me is going to be her first time. Up. This is going to be her first time on the show, Vanessa. Why don't you introduce Megan for us? Hey, Megan. <laughs> this might be a little surprise. embarrassing for her. <laughs> yep, surprise. <laughs> and that's radio style. Um, Megan, um, Alex and Perry said you have a public service announcement. Oh. Yeah. No. Go ahead. Tell everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on now, man. Come on. Don't be shy. Come Here. on. Here. You just tell them right there what you told me. No. Just put her on speaker. Put her on speaker. We can hear her. She she is. Hey, Meg. Oh, uh, she's embarrassed. Oh. The program will be over by then. <laughs> well, if you want, okay, listen, so. if if you want, to, why don't you make it for her, and the next time right, she right. can make it on on her own. So what she had told me is that she wanted to make a public service announcement that she loves all veterans and she's here for them, and the same goes for all the junior M vets at and that's post twenty three in Indiana. Wonderful. I even oh, like the comment you told me she said about the radio. I even like the comment you said she said about Ambet's radio and that no one's arguing. Right. <laughs> it's like listening to a debate on TV, but without all the arguing. 
What a concept. I know, hey, right, Mary? But hey, now we've embarrassed her real good. <laughs> I'm here. Hey, what a, what a concept, huh, Sherman? An actual conversation without arguing and fighting? <laughs> you won't find that in D.C. She must not be anywhere near Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not allowed out here. Oh, the ability is loud out here. I'm going to be honest. I would just inside the beltway. I would inside that beltway. It's true. You know what to expect. I will say we're thankful for our uh, junior and vets. That's the future that, that I'm talking about. Those are the, those are that's the hope for this country. So we need to continue to invest in them, make them leaders. Absolutely. Amen, brother. Hey, Carol, are, are you still there? Forty five is actually gonna. Yes. Uh, I just want to quickly bring up one small topic, uh, which we've actually discussed before. I wanted to get your your thoughts on this, or as far as advice is concerned. But when it comes to to veteran suicide, which is obviously it's a big issue here in the U.S., and we've had this conversation multiple times. But when it comes from transitioning from from military life to civilian life, how is that? What has been your experience so far with those that you've dealt with who were who were suicidal, but after dealing with with whatever advice you might have given them, I mean, share some of that experience because again, you have dealt with veterans directly on this. Well, I, uh, well, I mean, I, I would care. say that I, that one of the the most important things is really talking to veterans and listening. Um, whenever whenever you're speaking, I've, I've always been taught that whenever you're talking, you're saying something you already know. Whenever you're listening, you might learn something that you don't. And so, when when a veteran, um, you know, is is thinking about something like you know suicide, that that that's that's very heart-wrenching to me so um you know it's there, there's so many great organizations out there that have 24 7 um you know phone lines open basically um uh, you know me personally i mean you know you need somebody to talk to call me uh you know let's talk and let's just uh you know that there's just really really listening to what their issues are and understanding them because again whether you know whether it's uh, Sherman whether it's Orlando uh excuse me Antoine Vanessa uh I think I've named everybody on the the program you know we all played in the same mud it was just at different times and so really understanding you know the obstacles and again I don't I, I hate the word failure I mean, it's that's just it really is not my vocabulary, but you know, I always call it an opportunity. But understanding the opportunity of what they're doing, and when you're transitioning, a lot of people will, you know, it, it, it's hard, and and it's getting right. back into that civilian mode. And right. I will never ever right. forget. And I'll go ahead and say this real quick, but uh, you know, my first job was a warehouse supervisor. And I'll never forget, they said, hey, we're going to have a dog and pony show. And so I told uh, the workers, you know, the team, I said, hey, we need to sweep, you know, these aisles. We need to do this. And they were like, okay, we're going on uh, break. And I'm like, okay, but let's try this again. What part of let's sweep aisles one through three do y'all guys not understand? And we're going to do it right now. 
And, of course, I had to go see the HR manager and everything else. So, you know, we're, we're tuned a little bit different. And so it's really understanding that transition right. from civilian, or excuse me, military to civilian. But, uh, you know, one thing I want to say before. Well, let me, the, the let me have a thought, Gerald, because we're going to. We're, we're, going to, we're going to run out of time, and I had a thought that I wanted to convey before we do. Um, yes, specific sir. to veteran suicide. Um, the, I, I can compare veteran suicide to carbon monoxide poisoning. You don't see it. It sneaks up on you unless you have an alarm, unless you have something that warns you of its insidious presence. And there are two things that I ask everybody to look for in a veteran who might be in crisis. One is a sense of burdensomeness, meaning that veteran feels like a burden, whether that veteran was incarcerated homeless, uh, broke monetarily. So a sense of burdensomeness is one big red flag to look for. The second one is a lack of belongingness, not belonging to something, feeling isolated from what that veteran was comfortable with or was familiar with. So if you see those two signs, and you'll, it's easy to see them. You talk to them like, uh, like you said, but, but those are two, uh, two signals. Two, those are the canaries in the mind. Uh, across a lot of cases where a veteran co- co- completed the suicide, is that sense of, of uh, being a burden to a family and a lack of a, a detachment, a lack of uh, belongingness, something that the veteran once had. And that could happen because of a divorce, uh, transition, all kinds of ways. But I, I, I encourage our listeners to, to really get good at spotting those two signs. Great, great information. Great, great information. And I, I, I couldn't say it any better. And, uh, Perry, I definitely want to say, you know, Vanessa, uh, Antoine, Sherman, uh, Orlando, and if I missed anybody else that, that's been in the conversation, I apologize. But, uh, you know, thank you for each of y'all's sacrifices. And, uh, you know, Orlando, I definitely want to say that you're an inspiration uh, because you, you've been knocked down uh, several times and you got back up. And, uh, you know, that's that's part of, you know, what, what they taught us in the military as a veteran. You know, we, we've got that title as a veteran and, uh, you know, you're an inspiration. So I, I just want to say thank you. And you're more than welcome. Look forward to speaking to you soon. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, see, this is exactly what it's all about. And I am, again, thankful for all of you for taking the time to be on AMVETS Radio tonight, to sharing your heart, to sharing your wisdom and your knowledge of your experiences and what you've been through. I'm, I'm always encouraged in the Bible where I find the story about Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, each one is at a section of the wall, and and each one works their own section. Some works on a door, some works on a gate. And so as each one of us discuss this topic, and we continue this topic next week, I want you to remember that all of us are unique in our very own ways, and that's exactly the way God made us. So I love you guys. Have an awesome night, and we will see you guys next Tuesday on AMBETS Radio. For more information, visit ambetsradio.com. Like us on Facebook and on Twitter. And as I always say, until next time, love you guys. Thank you.